When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Waves listeners, it's Shayna Roth. For our final episode, we want to steer you toward a show we think you'll love. In Case You Missed It, or ICYMI, is honestly one of my favorite shows at Slate. Hosted by Candace Lim and Rachel Hampton, they dive deep into internet culture twice a week with plenty of sass, insight, and nuance. Here's an episode Waves listeners will especially enjoy. It's all about this year's celebrity memoirs. We hope you enjoy. And thanks for listening to The Waves. Hey, I'm Candice Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And Rachel, I am really glad that the SAG-AFTRA strike is over, not only because Mm -hmm. we are pro-union in this house, but Mm -hmm. also because I am craving my programs back. Same. I miss my programs. I miss them so much. We are due, overdue, for another season of Abbott Elementary, my comfort show. Yes. I miss seeing the love unfold between Janine and Greg. I Mm -hmm. need it back. I need that slow burn romance. Also, Interview with a Vampire, injected (gasps) into my eyeballs. Love, love that show. AMC's Interview with a Vampire is an undersung gem. Everyone should be watching it. I'm so excited for it to come back. Oh, 100%. And you know who is sadly not coming back, Rachel. It is none other than young Sheldon. Apparently, young Sheldon, the god, is ending after seven seasons. He's middle-aged now. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't realize that show was still going. Uh, Mm -hmm. But congrats to young Sheldon. I'm sure that child is rich now. I hope that... (laughs) His parents aren't stealing all his money. Oof. You're right about that. And aside from the fall of young Sheldon, you know, there is a recent celeb news item that's been on my mind for the past week. And I definitely want to get your take on this. But before we dive in, I did want to warn our listeners that we will be discussing domestic violence and abuse in the segment. So please... Take care of yourself. Feel free to skip to our next segment after the break if you'd like to. Mm-hmm. So last week, actress and singer Kiki Palmer filed a restraining order against her ex-boyfriend, Darius Jackson. Darius is the father of Palmer's eight-month-old child. And you may remember him causing a stir earlier this year when Kiki went to watch Usher live in Vegas. And she posted a video of her being serenaded by him. It's a phenomenal video, but Darius chose to quote tweet her video and wrote, it's the outfit though, dot, 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 you a mom. Mm -hmm. And that started a huge conversation about the way men 
still in this age will control women by outfit shaming or using their motherhood against them. And a lot of people rose up for Kiki and said, back off, let her do her thing. And Kiki's response was quite mature because she didn't directly respond to him online. Instead, she stood by her outfit and her video. She ended up in an Usher music video, like win-win. Truly, again, another video everyone should go watch. Importantly, at the time, Kiki had a ton of support from a lot of Black women who noted that Darius's desire to control his partner could be read as abusive. There was also a vocal contingent, as there always is when Black women say anything, that loudly protested and basically said, y'all are making shit up, you bitter bitches. And that seemed to be supported by Entertainment Tonight reporting that while Kiki and Darius broke up in August, they were still, quote, co-parenting. But... Then we fast forward to last week when Kiki was not only granted a temporary restraining order, but also full physical and legal custody of her son. According to the filing, Kiki Palmer said there were several instances of, quote, physical violence, including striking and grabbing me around the neck, end quote, and, quote, hitting me in front of our son, spewing profanities about me to our son, threatening to kill himself with a gun if I left him harassment and other physical and emotional abuse. And Palmer says she has security camera footage of all of this, which she did because screenshots and videos have been released and they're hard to watch because they seem to back up what we've heard from Kiki, and it's heartbreaking. TMZ reportedly had sources saying Darius denies the, quote, recent allegations of abuse, and he yet again went to Twitter to, quote, defend himself by posting a picture of him and his son with the caption, quote, I love you, son. See you soon. On top of that, after the restraining order was granted, Darius wiped his Instagram, which, by the way, is also what he did back in July after trying to mom shame Kiki Palmer. So this is a lot to take in. And I think it's just really hard to think about these fantastic two years Kiki Mm -hmm. has had professionally with Nope and like the Vanity Fair video and just all the time she has kind of delighted us on her press tours. And then to coincide that with her reality behind the scenes and across social media as the latest recording leaked of a private conversation between the two of them, which we are not even going to substantiate because there's so much wrong with this attempt to paint Kiki Palmer in a negative way, which is that she was suffering at the hands of her baby's father, and we just did not know. Mm-hmm. It just felt like one of those times where you absolutely hate to be right in clocking that Darius's attempt to shame Kiki for enjoying a moment with one of the most legendary R&B singers in the world somehow influenced her parenting abilities, and clocking that that shaming attempt was actually a huge red flag. It reminded me of a lot of the women in my life and women who have spoken up online who talk about how their male partner's responses to their success, which as you mentioned, Candace, Kiki Palmer's had incredible overdue success these last two years. But there's unfortunately a trend where women's male partner's response to their success isn't love or support, but anger and diminishment born largely out of jealousy. And 
it breaks my heart to think that while dealing with this, she also had to deal with the internet discourse cycle that Darius's tweet set off. Like the alleged things he was doing to her weren't enough for him. He also needed to publicly shame her and steal a moment of joy from her. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we know, I am really proud of Kiki for coming forward and filing that restraining order and submitting the security camera footage because it is not easy to be a public figure. And I think Kiki is known for bringing so much joy, just eminent joy. And so to acknowledge that there was so much pain underneath that is really hard and really brave of her to tell us what was really going on. And I feel like that's kind of been a running theme this year, especially when it comes to celebrity memoirs, for example, which are usually written to like reframe or tell the true story or context behind the people who we think had it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we started this year with Spare by Prince Harry, which was just this kind of takedown of the royal family that brought back up the stuff that Meghan Markle and Harry went through in their attempt to escape the palace, which was, you know, aided by Tyler Perry, a fact I will always bring up. Mm-hmm. And it only ramped up from there with Pamela Anderson, Jada Pinkett Smith, Carrie Washington, Barbara Streisand, and probably one of the biggest memoirs of the year, if not the decade, which was The Woman in Me by Britney Spears. That's right. So today we're going to look back at this year in celebrity memoirs with someone who is pretty much an expert in this topic. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Chelsea Devantes, the host of Glamour's Trash, which is a podcast that dissects and reframes the celebrity memoir genre. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back on today's show. We are joined by Chelsea Devantes. Chelsea is a writer, comedian, and the host of Glamorous Trash. It is a podcast where she recaps and discusses the best and worst celebrity memoirs of our time. It's a great name with a phenomenal host. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for shouting out that I also cover some of the worst memoirs ever. You know, (laughs) it's always a surprise where you're like, I can't wait for this book. And then halfway through, you're like, oh, no. You're like, I could have waited. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I did see you guys covered the Madison Beer memoir. So you served your time, actually. If there was an army, you did it. (laughs) Candace, I'm so sorry. I loved that book. Oh, my God. (gasps) No, okay. I loved it. Wait, have you read it? No, I haven't. Okay. How dare you speak (laughs) on my girl? Now, (laughs) when I picked up a memoir by a 24-year-old Instagrammer that I knew nothing about, I was ready to be like, LOL, memoir. I cried. I gave it to teenagers. It's like a young adult book that I think should be required reading in schools. I will like fight for this woman. And I did not know who she was before the book. (laughs) 
Oh, my God. That is yeah. beautiful. And we'll talk more about, like, some of your biggest hits, maybe so your sleeper hits as well. But we wanted to start off strong. You know, every first-timer to the ICYMI universe must be inducted with one question and one question only, which is... What is your first internet memory? So I <laughs> I grew up in some real small towns, y'all. And we also had no money. And so my internet memories are so pathetic because it took me so long to like be like, wait, computers are cool. Um, so I remember I took a typing class and it took me three weeks to type three paragraphs. And I was like, so proud of it. And I remember a girl sitting next to me being like, this is pathetic. Um, And then like my first, first, like really into the internet memory was a site where you could send letters to yourself or a friend that would get delivered in the future. Yes, I do this now. Really? I do every single year. Future me, shout out to you guys. I send myself a little update of like what past Candace has done. I love it. Wait, I need to get back on this because I loved it. I sent one to myself, but I also remember sending one to my best friend at the time. And I was like, deliver seven years from now when we're like (laughs) besties and on top of the world. And we had a friendship breakup. And I just always think back to like one day that email arrived. (laughs) So so she got it. Y'all, it's been like, almost 20 years. Like she definitely must have gotten it because we were teenagers. Uh, we we're like 17. Um, but in my head, I was also like, is that site still a thing? Like, did it ever deliver? Feels like I should have gotten a phone call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should have. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. And I love the idea of writing a little letter to yourself in the future. Just like, you know, dear future Rachel, yeah, a little a little future email. Exactly. Yeah, I, I remember that. And I also remember being like, wow, I hope I get into college so I can join Facebook. <laughs> because you had to have a college email address. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was like, wow, that's big stuff. Well, you know, that's kind of, you know, a perfect segue into our, our next question, which is about the other place where we record all of our most important moments, aka memoirs. Um, (laughs) It's pretty safe to say that the past two years, and particularly this year, have been the year of the celebrity memoir. Just to name a few that have been published in 2023, we've got Spare by Prince Harry, which I keep forgetting came out this year. What is time? We've got The Woman in Me by Britney Spears. We've got Page Boy by Elliot Page. Love Pamela by Pamela Anderson. Paris the Memoir by, you guessed it, Paris Hilton, Thicker Than Water by Carrie Washington, Making It So by Patrick Stewart, Worthy by Jada Pinkett Smith, and I am not even naming half of the celebrity memoirs that came out this year. Some of these make a lot of sense from a timing perspective. You know, Britney just got out of her conservatorship. The dust has finally settled from Megxit. But it feels like a kind of market uptick in celebrity memoirs. And we wanted to ask you, Chelsea, as an expert, is everyone just paying more attention to the genre or is this actually a kind of watershed moment? Yeah, that's such a great question. And we did, we covered every single one of the memoirs you listed, except for Patrick Stewart's, because, you know, I make a men's memoir exception for men's memoirs every now and then. (laughs) But on the whole, they just disappoint me every single time. Most recently, John Samos. Mm. Sorry, John. But (laughs) I do think 
there is an uptick and it all of it goes back to Jessica Simpson's memoir, which quietly debuted in January 2020, right before the quarantine and like pandemic was upon us in, you know, February, March. And when her book came out, we were not having the moment we are having now with these memoirs. It was like, oh, Jessica Simpson wrote a book like interesting. That's odd. And I had it on pre-order because I've loved these books since I was a child. They've always been this treasure that I kept to myself, like a secret love I had because the books were thought of as like trashy sellouts, you know, chiclet Mm -hmm. trash, just garbage. And I said they were thought of that way, but I think a lot of them still are thought of that way Yeah, yeah. because they haven't listened to my podcast. But um, (laughs) I always found them to be some of the most beautiful, impactful self-help journeys inside these books because they're so fun. It's like gossip, juice, celebrity stories. But then you're also like reframing cultural moments for yourself and like hearing like the most powerful women in society, which sadly are usually pop stars for us, (laughs) talk about what that life has been like. And so her book really didn't have its full moment until like summer, fall, summer or fall when people started realizing like, wait, did she say John Mayer still showers at her house? Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, do we remember when we called Jessica Simpson fat and she was a size four? And then we just like taught women that that's what fat is. And people were like, wait a minute, is this book actually good? And it just took people's breath away. Podcasts started up about it. And I think people realize that it's not a sellout move if your book is really good and it can actually like boost your career and bring people in. Whereas I think before memoirs were seen as like something you either do at the end of your life or something you do when you're just like doing a cash grab. And I think Jessica Simpson actually paved the way for people to start telling their stories. Wow. That was unexpected for me because unfortunately, um, the book that I read by Jessica Simpson is that very small Amazon Kindle ebook she put out this oh, year. No. Where she, and it was basically like a Dumas blind item where she basically detailed her like possible trits with allegedly, allegedly Mark Wahlberg. And mm-hmm. it was very funny, but I I like that you kind of point to her as kind of this pivot in the landscape. And I kind of wanted to ask about this year, maybe last year as well. Do you have a favorite celebrity memoir of the year or is there one that you think is probably going to stick with you for a while? Yeah, I mean, the ones that are good are so good. So I would say, uh, you know, it didn't come out this year, but Gabrielle Union's first memoir is always one of my favorite ones. And when I first read it, I remember um, I bought like 13 of them and I gave them out as Christmas gifts. And then Demi Moore's memoir really changed things too. And I, I don't know if you remember, but like it was back in that November 2020 moment where it came out and people were like, I guess. But that book is so... Good. She's like 40 years old and falling in love with Ashton. Like her age is making her insecure. And he tells her alcoholism isn't real. And so she starts drinking again. And like it's all this stuff. Um, So yeah, I loved those. Rosie Perez's memoir is a phenomenal one. And then I think from this year specifically of the new ones that have come out, it's been interesting in that I I haven't had like a 10 out of 10 recently, but like Carrie Washington's memoir was really important because she talked about being donor conceived and something really interesting to someone who has an anonymous sperm donor as a dad is that like, if I asked you guys, like, 
Can you think of like a famous adopted person? So like Colin Kaepernick like was adopted. You know what I mean? Like we know people who were adopted. We don't know any famous person who is donor conceived, but now we do because Carrie like wrote a whole book about it. So like that one was really cool. Julia Fox's book was bananas, uh, bonkers bananas. Like that one is still with me, but maybe in the form of nightmares. Um, (laughs) Okay. And, um, you know, a book I really loved was Paris Hilton's. That was another one that really is, I think will shock you when you read it because she just kind of blows open what we thought of her. And yes, obviously in that way of like, I'm more than just, you know, blah, blah, blah. But some of it like felt very real. On the kind of opposite spectrum, do you have any that are going to stick with you for a while for perhaps not great reasons? (laughs) And I guess, what do you think makes the difference between like a great celebrity memoir and one that maybe haunts your nightmares a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So therapy and honesty. So, and, and they have to come together. So there are some memoirs where they're like, I'm being really honest. And you're like, oh, you should not have done that. And <laughs> oh, no. your honest view of things uh, is tough. And then there's ones where, you know, it's a lot of therapy talk, like maybe like Jada's memoir with not full honesty. And like that, that feels like unfulfilling. But when you do both together at the same time, those memoirs, I feel like blow you away because again, whether you think of them as powerful, respected people or not, if you have a celebrity memoir, you are a person in our culture who we have given power to. And if you're a woman, we likely have treated you like dog shit, even while holding you on a pedestal and reading about that is always so powerful. And yet some people do a memoir before they're ready. Maureen McCormick, Marsha Brady. That memoir was one where it's like she saw Dr. Phil as a therapist and she needed a different therapist <laughs> before right. she like did that book. Oh. Um, Lynn Spears, Britney's mom, did a memoir. Literally, like she must have shoved Britney in the ambulance to send her off to the conservatorship and like started typing. She was like, and I'm going to like it came out so fast and it was like all this like all these lies were inside. It's one of the worst books ever inside it she talks about how she sorry trigger warning for I don't know for a sad story she Lynn Spears killed a kid on his bike drove into him when like her kids were young and in her book she's like and then one night I was driving a car and he was riding his bike and I hit him and you're like why is this in your memoir (laughs) (laughs) Rachel and I are very taken aback because I what, know. what is it with celebrities like admitting to vehicular manslaughter? Okay, Caitlyn Jenner's on that list. Taylor yeah. Swift is maybe allegedly on that list. <laughs> What's going on? I don't know. I don't know because also like no one cared about that from Lynn. No one would have ever right. known. Yeah. I think she was like, this book is a bunch of lies about my daughter, but I said it's my memoir. What's something that happened to me? And this was like the only thing she could think of. Yeah. So uh, the bad ones are really, really, really bad. And the good ones are really, really good. And when you have a memoir that's in the middle, it is then also bad. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. you're only going to do a memoir likely once, I guess some people do it three times, but it's like, This should be like the hits of your life, the most important things you have to give over from your whole life, all the gossip, the dirt, the, if you want to like get even, like this is your book. And if it's, if it's like just okay, that's crushing. That is interesting. And I actually wanted to ask if you have noticed any like 
themes kind of emerge from celebrity memoirs of the recent past. Like, were there any patterns you've detected in terms of, for example, what women write versus what men write or which types of celebrities tend to have better memoirs, things like that? Absolutely. So we on my podcast, we have a a drinking bingo where we have a bingo sheet that's on our Patreon. You can print it out. And if you listen to the episode or read the book, you can play bingo with it because there are so many patterns. One of the patterns that I love is that almost every single female memoir has a psychic moment. Almost (laughs) all of them. Really? And I love when we get there. It makes me, I love it every time. There's something called husbandgers that we it's called that because we called it that mm-hmm. where it's like a man or a boyfriend comes in and tries to ruin a woman's life by managing her career right mm-hmm. that's like and that happens far too often like Reba McIntyre and then his son became a husbandger to Kelly Clarkson like right you know scary spice had a husbandger and so that's a pattern then we have some famous cameos so prince has shown up in like 15 books. Mick Jagger has shown up in like 17 books. Henry Kissinger, known war criminal, has shown up no. in 20 celebrity memoirs. No. This no. is true. Yes. Chelsea, yes. you're fucking with me. I, I don't know why he's there. Henry like, Kissinger? Apparently, he was like obsessed with like keeping in touch with like female celebrities. And so there's like dates. He was pen pals with Cher. It is so weird. <laughs> The thing is, Henry Kissinger comes up on this podcast a lot because whenever yes. someone dies, I'm like, why isn't I Henry Kissinger? But oh, yes, my God. Yes. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Every time he comes up, I'm like, God damn it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not again. Yeah. Not again. And another pattern is a dad calling his daughter fat. That's another bingo sheet card. Um, yeah, it's so tough. And then to the question that you asked me about, like, the difference between uh, men and women's memoirs. There are so few good men's moors and it's not, I'm not even trying to gender it. Like I'll give them a, a shot and they just always fail. And there's this incredible quote by Elizabeth Wurzel who wrote Prozac Nation. Let me see if I can get it right. Which is that men who make the rules tend to dismiss the genre of memoir because they're just not as good at it as women are. Because when you hold all the power, it's not as useful to tell the truth about yourself mm. and they hold all the power. Um, so that was kind of a butchered quote, but I think like they barely share like real, authentic, like deep moments in their memoirs but they'll often just be like here's when I lost my virginity and became a man and you're like okay um and women will be like here's exactly how I snuck through a pizza factory to make out with Derek Jeter and get away from my abusive marriage that's Mariah Carey (laughs) and so (laughs) there are some good ones like Daryl Hammond has a great men's more Harry's was half interesting this does remind me of one of the questions I wanted to ask which was Celebrity memoirs, especially those written by women, kind of feel like an attempt to kind of snatch back narrative agency from the press or social media or their husbandgers. But the way they're marketed kind of feels like it just ends up playing back into that kind of stripping of agency and that the most salacious details are the ones that really get forefronted, whether it's like Britney with her abortion or... This isn't a best example, but Matthew Perry, the Keanu Reeves Mm -hmm. story ended up being front loaded. And so I'm wondering if you feel like there's a kind of tension between the work of a memoir and the necessary work of marketing a memoir. Yeah, that's such a good question. And it is like, you know, women's careers are made by like a male led media 
you know, from paparazzi to headline to whatever. And so like to take back the narrative is so powerful and yet kind of even in your references, it's not really a gendered thing of how these books are marketed because a celebrity memoir is always going to be marketed gossip and bombshells first. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of even non-celebrity memoirs, like the way it hooks you in is you're like, oh, she was a, a cowgirl who raised herself. You know, you want to read about that? Or, oh, I mean, there's a new one where it's like her parents raised her on a sailboat for 12 years and she didn't get to go to school. And you're like, damn. And so I think it's how the genre as a whole is sold. I do think that men are given a little bit more respect. Like, oh, here's their life story where for women, it'll be like, what's the goss? And I think that's ridiculous. The nice thing is that if you actually wrote a really good memoir, such a juicy story can pull you in and bring you to a book you never would have picked up otherwise. On the flip side, sometimes people just write the books to like share juice, you know, mm -hmm. and a really funny way that actually backfired was on Kris Jenner, who mm -hmm. hers came out in 2011 and half of the book is the OJ Simpson trial. Wow. I, and yeah, yeah, you're like, that's not the majority of your life. Like that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a oh. long trial, but mm -hmm. not half your book. And because she was doing that thing in 2011 of like, what do people know about? What's the headline? What's the buzz? She ends up writing about the OJ Simpson trial and kind of revealing what a horrible friend she was to Nicole. Mm. And so it just becomes this weird, interesting book in that way. And so, yeah, I, I also think if it's written by a woman, it'll always be like chiclet. It'll always be like some sort of trashy throwaway book, no matter what the genre is. Like if you write an essay collection and you're a woman, it'll often get pushed into self-help, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's take a short pause here. When we come back, we're going to talk to Chelsea about the role of the memoir in the age of social media and how talking about memoirs helped her write her own memoir. And we're back. So I think we kind of look at these memoirs with the lens of how the internet comes into it. And, you know, the internet and social media have kind of made it easier than ever for celebrities to really control their own narrative. As simple as literally just posting on Instagram. They don't need to go mm -hmm. through publicists. They can yeah. announce the engagement. Congrats. And they also no longer have to sit down with journalists to get their story told. They can just make a TikTok or even worse, make a podcast. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of the celebrities we've mentioned today, specifically Britney Spears, have really used social media as an outlet. And so we wanted to ask, do you think the purpose of a memoir has changed at all in the social media age? That's such a good question. This is coming from my narrow scope and, and age. And so like perhaps this, there's a different time where this was different. But right now seems to be the moment when we are actually caring about people's stories the most, where we are seeing more memoirs, where you do get lots of press, even for stories from people who normally wouldn't have like written a memoir. They're now deciding like to do it because somewhere on social media, we're going to care. That being said, I think unless you fully read the book, unless you're still a book person, it's pointless. And to just get clips about the memoirs on social media, it'll always just give you like that abortion story where Justin Timberlake played guitar at her mm -hmm. abortion. But mm -hmm. like, to fully read that book or hot plug, listen to my recap about it. It just delivers so much more about them that if you're willing to go there, I think it's still like really beautiful. And I also think because of social media and authenticity in the books, 
people go there a lot harder. Whereas in the past, it's like female celebrities would write like a half diet book and my memoir, like Angela Lansbury's like, here's how you lose those 10 and some life stories. <laughs> and I think you know, you're like, Angela Lansbury, like, why are you telling me I'm, I'm chubby? Like, this is not what I wanted from you. Elizabeth Taylor's memoir is a half diet book. And you're like, one of our greatest stars of all time, we didn't give her a whole fucking memoir because that's like not what you bought from women. And so I do think social media has pushed the books to like be better than they were in the past. I love that answer. It makes me want to ask about the kind of unspoken force that we haven't talked a lot about, which is the money of it all. Like, these deals are huge. Reportedly, I think Britney's was around 12 million. Harry's was over that. And Elliot Page said he got around 3 million for his book. It's a lot of money and they're fueling the publishing industry in a lot of ways. Wow. I don't know. I wish I had the numbers on that. However, like Elliot Page, after reading his memoir, I think his life can start. Because mm. he has such a like public life and and had such a specific place in our public narrative, had to change that and reroute it and show people like what was happening when they were filming Juno and like where they were at and like all the homophobia that like happened when they like came out for the first time. And so the purpose of that book to me is so huge. Like this is a trans man's experience who is a celebrity. Like, is it the first? It, it, you know what I mean? Of all. So way beyond money, that story is so important. I think for Carrie Washington, realizing that like her dad wasn't who she thought her dad was, like she had to write this book. I think that's way more than a money play because she talked about how she almost sold a book about like, 10 things like Olivia Pope taught me about me. And like, she can write that and make money. And she didn't, she wrote her story. And so I do think for some celebrities, like Melissa Etheridge was like, I need money. I think John Stamos was like, mm, tell people the I exist. full house checks are running out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, mm, I'm gonna write this book again. Um, so like, that is definitely there. But then like, for someone like Jeanette McCurdy, that's like one there of the best go. memoirs yeah. ever written, mm -hmm. especially by a celebrity. And that book changed so much, like for like abuse and child stars and mother-daughter relationships and books aren't like crazy sexy to people. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're doing a book, I think for the most part, it's because you have something to say and then 30% of them are <laughs> hacks and trash. <laughs> I like that breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just to think a little bit more about the celebrity ecosystem that we all kind of live in now, you know, it's interesting because with the internet, it's made it easier than ever to, like, keep up with celebrities. Like, if you wanted to know where Britney Spears got her knives, you can do that on Insta. <laughs> and there's just a lot of info out there that either they didn't want public or they would have preferred to reveal in their own time. And I think one of the critiques we hear often about memoirs is that, like, if you've kept up with one singular celebrity in question, you probably are not going to learn anything new from their memoir because they're, like, posting all the time or something like that. I'm curious if you think the internet has increased the pressure for celebrities to basically bear it all on all platforms 24-7. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. It's given me that pressure and I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> like, yeah. I think we're all living in that. Okay, so I kept up with Gabrielle Union. I'm a fan. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I go and rewatch a lot of her movies. But then in her book, it's like I, I knew that she had a husband and like they divorced. But in the book, she's like, let me teach you how to cheat if you want to and not get caught. Okay. 
Was I going to know that from her Instagram? Uh, no. You know, are you going to know that she's like, oh, yeah, he proposed to me and cheated the next day? Like, I didn't know that. And I think also just like the takeaways and the meaning, you know, and also I think to get into this business and succeed in this business, some crazy shit happened. And that's not something you could ever know unless the full story was told to you. So I guess like maybe in a 2020, but like, you know, Gabrielle Union also shared like the story of how she was held at gunpoint and raped when she was 19 years old. What other venue would there have been for like that story? And I do think that all of us, maybe in a positive way, being pushed to bear it all, hide less. Do you know what I mean? Like the amount of people being like, hello, my mental health is bad. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. I remember being embarrassed to go on meds, you know? And now I could find a bunch of memes about it because we're all just like, yeah, meds are a thing. So I think there's some really positive sides to sharing more. And also, I'm sure we've crossed the line and entered hell, but um, (laughs) there are at least some positives to it. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's only been bad? Oh, that's a big question. And I think one we try to answer on this show or at least try to grapple with fairly often. I think it's somewhere in between, like you were saying, like most things, it has its positives and negatives, but... I really like what you were saying about what makes a good celebrity memoir and what makes a bad one. I think there's this idea that the internet has made memoirs obsolete because we already know everything about these people. We already know where they are all the time. But I think what you're pinpointing is the difference between actually being introspective and being able to write about the experience versus kind of seeing the facts of the event play out across our screens. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally like the meaning making like you might know Mm. if you just care about like who's with who and what happened at what party. Like, yeah, social media has got you. You don't need to crack open a book. But like the memoir is where you're going to get like the heart, the soul, the hindsight, the what could be different. Like we all saw Jessica Simpson get booed at Tony Romo games. Mm. But when you read about it, you're like, oh, my God, she was just trying to get over John Mayer and she walked into a stadium of men who booed her. It just hits different, even if you already knew it, you know. So, Chelsea, before we go, I did want to bring up that next year you are going to be publishing your own memoir, which is called I Shouldn't Be Telling You This, parentheses, but I'm going to anyway. Fantastic. And I wanted to ask, as an anthropologist of celebrity memoirs, did your podcast or maybe just like your library of knowledge inform the way you wrote your memoir? Like, did it help you decide what to divulge, what to cut, what to even call the book? What did you kind of take from just knowing so much? Yeah, I mean, it it heavily informed how I wrote. It heavily informed that I got to write a book at all, you know, mm-hmm. and like having a book podcast obviously helped. But, you know, something really shocking happened that first year of the podcast, which is that in order to talk about the books and the way I had actually loved them my whole life, I had to share which piece of me the book had really helped and changed and moved. And because I was never interested in them just for the goss. I mean, I'm here for the goss, but I also, (laughs) I would reflect on my own life. And so I started sharing these tiny pieces of me that I'd never shared before. I wasn't like a a sharing type of gal. And it's like we read Demi Moore's book and Demi Moore finds out that 
her dad is not her real dad when she's 14. That also happened to me. And then you're sitting here being like, oh my God, me and Demi Moore. (laughs) And like, she's like from New Mexico and like my family's from New Mexico. And so all of those things happened. And then it built into an episode where I finally just shared like my life story on like a little bonus episode. And that is what got the book sold of like people heard that and they're like, maybe you should write a book. And I was like, I'll do anything. <laughs> like I love memoirs, <laughs> like please. And so that really formed like how the book came about. And then in terms of how I write it, like, yeah, I critique memoirs, like the pressure to write this. Like I was, the sweat poured down my body every moment I hit the keyboard. But I also just tried to, I love these books. So everything I love about a book and everything I'm hoping for when I open a book, I then put into mine. And so it's like, I am going to tell you the nitty gritty details of like how I got that first agent and that first job. Like I am going to drop the story about the really fucking shitty celeb who braided my hair on set. Like I am going to talk about like my female best friend breakup and I'm going to talk about the hardest parts of life and like what I took from it. And so I couldn't have been influenced more by this podcast and also the community around it helped me choose my book title my book cover, like I would post titles, people would vote on them on Instagram. Like (laughs) it really felt like a book club. That does make me want to ask one final question, which is other than your memoir, what memoirs are you looking forward to for next year? And if you were to recommend like two or three memoirs for people to give as gifts at the end of the year, what are the ones to buy? That's a great one. So I'm currently reading Barbara Streisand's memoir, which is huge. 996 pages, mm-hmm. 48 hours if you're listening. Mm-hmm. So I I will be reading it into next year. So I don't know if that, <laughs> I'm looking forward to then. I mean, I have a day job. Like I, like I can't be reading this book my entire life. And so mm-hmm. this one's going to take me a minute. Um, we just had such a good year of memoirs for holiday gifts. If you have a friend who had some like trauma as a teenager, give them Paris Hilton's book. If you have um, a friend who's really into theater or like loves to read and like loves like incredible metaphors and storytelling, Betty Gilpin's memoir is like so unexpected and she had it's the most I've ever quoted a book. It's it's so good. Another really great book to give is Britney Spears' book. It's a quick read. The audiobook is so, mm-hmm. so good. I, I was really unexpected. I read it and then I also just listened to it. And if you have a friend with a teenage daughter, give them Madison Beer's memoir. The huge sell for me is that she wrote this book at 24 years old, which is very, very, very young. However, the positive side of that is that when she writes about this excruciating thing that happens when she's 15, she's really close to it. And so the way she writes it is almost like young adult memoir because she is a young adult, but in a way where I could feel like, one, it was speaking to me as an adult, but I could feel like, oh, if teenage me had read this, I would have lost my mind for it. And what happens is that when she is getting famous, because Scooter Braun, in quotes, finds her at 12, and like singing a YouTube video and starts giving her this career. She is still just like a girl in school who like loves camp and like cute boys. And she exchanges like some nude photos when she's like 14, just with a boy she likes who she's 
exploring things with. And then when she gets famous or starts to get famous at 15, he leaks the nudes and they make it onto the internet. And she talks about like thinking back to their librarian being like, don't put anything bad on the internet. You won't get hired for a job. And she's like, LOL, I rolled my eyes at this and now I am famous and grown men are passing around my nude photos. And she's seen all the tweets and she's seen everything go up about it. And at the time they told her to deny it. Like it was her fault. Like say it wasn't you. Cause like your career will be over. And like her label drops her and like the photos keep appearing over the years and like haunting her. And finally one day she's like, that is me. And I sent nude photos and like, fuck all of you. And everyone who made me stay silent and everyone who like made like I lost my own career because I sent a boy a nude versus like these boys at school passed it around. And I just think it's like such a, who has not sent a nude? You know what I mean? And, but if you are young and the the pressures and things that could happen to you from that, I just felt like what an unexpected, beautiful journey into, into this woman's brain having gone through that. And she has a lot of really severe mental health issues from it and like how she deals with it and finds her first female best friend and how much it helps her in life. Like I was just really touched. And it's also like a hundred pages. So why not? You know? Okay. That's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday. So definitely subscribe that way you never miss an episode leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Candice Lim, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or on Goodreads.